want us to open our Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy, and I won't ask you to stand because we're already kind of into the message, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, and um, we're, we're talking about our four core values, and yes, and so last week we spoke about big God he is a great, mighty, om, omniscient God, so therefore our faith is a big faith. It's not faith in ourselves, because if faith is in ourselves, it's a small faith. It's a failing faith, and it's a faith that is, that is riddled with unbelief. And faith does not begin with us, but it begins with the Word of God. Whenever we lack faith in our life, and whenever we lack capacity for something, don't look at yourself. Don't look within. Don't look without. Look at God. we got to look at God. And God will orchestrate things in our life to make us do that. And then this week, we're just talking about being a participator in the kingdom of God, in God's calling in our life, and not just living a parallel Christian life. And I'll explain that in a minute. Next week, we're going to talk about um, uh, the, uh, the irrational, amazing uh, love of God. And then last Sunday, we'll be talking about evangelism. We'll be talking about some practical aspects of evangelism. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Knowing this, verse 1, that in the last days perilous times will come. We're already there, aren't we? <laughs> perilous times are already here, aren't they? I mean, these are perilous times. And, and the Apostle Paul, and this is his last letter that he's writing. At the end of the letter, shortly after this last letter to Timothy, he goes home to be with the Lord. He is martyred for the faith. And so he writes these words, for men will be lovers of themselves. And is that really what's happening today? Men are lovers of themselves. I mean, that really is what's happening. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, haughty, lovers of, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And this is the verse that I want us to focus on, okay? Verse 5. Having a form of godliness or godlikeness, but denying its power, but denying its power. Now, just, we don't need to close that all the way, Tony, because I think if somebody comes back in, they're going to open it and it's going to be distracting. Thanks. Denying the power thereof, having a form of godliness, looking godly, but not having any power in their life. I think as a preacher, one of the hardest things, or as a pastor, or as a Christian, that, I do, that one of the scariest things is, is to have a profession, but with no power to it. You know, like, uh, hey, you know, this is, this is truth, but there's, then there's no power to it. Or having a service where people are not delivered, or where there's no anointing, or where there's no contact with God. Okay, people come through the doors and they leave the same way. And that's really one of my greatest fears. And this is really what can happen so easily. When we're looking at this topic, our... A core value that we have in our church is if we are not people that just are spectators, but we really participate in our calling and in the church. I love the way this church functions because every week I, I hear about somebody or someone tells me, hey, I want to do this, or I got this idea, or I think this would be a good idea. And I like that because that means that people feel that they're taking ownership of the bot of, of of the church that they are in. I say that this is not my church. This is the this is your church and I think that we all are on the same page about that. And so like like uh, Pastor Kyle said this morning, he said that that we are not controlling 
the work of God. We are, we are functioning in our portion. There is a pattern that's happening. But at the same time, we have to understand that what we are doing is just a gift. You know? I mean, Don works on, the, works on the whole property here, and that's a gift. You know, he's not, he's not controlling. He's, it's a gift. Um, Wes works on the sound system. It's a gift. And Rose does what she does. You know, and there's a, it's a gift. It's a gift to the body. And that was, I thought that was such a creative message this morning that we got to remember, and that's what church planting is, is that I'm not, we're not here to, I'm not here to build a kingdom as the king and with many subjects to order everybody around, <laughs> you know. But really, we are here to we are here as a as a as a family as a body, and so what can happen so easily with Christians is is that um, we I have two illustrations. The first illustration I just want to give you of Second Timothy chapter three verse five, a form of godliness but no power. Okay, it's a, it's an illustration that came to me yesterday. I don't know if you remember being a little kid. Uh, I remember as a kid, I saw this picture and it made me think of this, uh, playing, being a fireman, you know. And I, I used to, um, for, our, for some reason, on our street, we lived in a rural Massachusetts, uh, fire engines would go up and down our street. And we would get on our, we'd hear them coming down the street. We'd get on our bikes and put on our fire hat, whatever we had, and just kind of try to keep up with them, you know, and just go where they were going. And we'd get there and they'd be doing their thing and we'd be kind of like on the other side of the street pretending that we were, involved with what was going on you know we had our little fire hats and one time one fireman saw what we were doing he thought that was really cute we were just like little kids we were pretending to participate and this is what a lot of christians can do they can live in this type of christianity called parallel christianity meaning that i'm parallel to it but i'm not participating in it i am a spectator Another illustration is like a guy watching a pay-per-view boxing match or a football game. And we're sitting on the edge of our seat watching the match. And watching boxing, I don't know about you, but boxing, boxing is an emotional, that's, a, that's unbelievable. I don't, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but that's... And then this, uh, in Europe, when I was living in, overseas in, in Europe, in Eastern Europe, they had another thing, it was uh, a type of fighting that there was no... And it wasn't UFC, it was something much, much worse. These, I mean, these, I mean, this was stuff that was going on, and then, you know, the Eurozone expanded into Eastern Europe, and that that all ended. But it was just guys were getting their arms broken, and you know, and, and you're watching this, and you're on the edge of your seat, and you're you find yourself yelling, you know, or like you know, maybe like even gesturing, you know, and and in, in the movements, and then like yelling at the quarterback, like, why did you throw that? I mean, you know, what a dumb throw, and. That is an example of parallel activity, but not participating. And that can happen in our Christian life so easily. Mm. And lots of us live this way. Mm. It's another way of thinking is this. What would Jesus do versus what is Jesus doing? You know, there was that years ago, that thing, what would Jesus do? They had the whole logo, you know, uh, WWJD, right? And... Parallel Christianity is always speculating about what would Jesus do, but we have the nature of Christ in us. We have the Spirit of God in us. We can discern the move of God. We can discern the work of God in our lives and in the lives of other people. And sometimes when we discern the work of God in another person's life and how people are resisting that work, that can be very grievous for you. 
And the grief that you experience is the same grief God's experiencing. The frustration you, ex you experience is very much similar to what God is experiencing. Not in a fleshly way, but like in a broken way. Like somebody that you really love that's really resisting the work of God in their life, that's grieving. That is, isn't it? And that's the grieving that happens in the, in the, life, of the, in the life of the Holy Spirit. So when we live a, a parallel Christian life, uh, we, are not part, we are not becoming a contributor or participating in the kingdom of God. We're, li we're living only as a taker and not a maker. We are living as a thinking like, what can I get from this or how can I better myself? Now, that really is a... That is really a psychology today in America, like let me and better myself. And that really is a part of our American makeup. Uh, we had our many, if, if not all of us, had ancestors that came from Europe. They came, they, they sold all of their goods, got on a boat, wound up on, um, you know, not just Europe, but everywhere, uh, wound up at, at uh, Ellis Islands, and they began a life as a minority in the United States. And this, this life as a minority, working hard like with nothing, working hard with this vision in mind that my kids are gonna have a better life. That kind of genetic has been passed on to the next generation and the following generations in America. So part of our, our DNA as an American, no matter what minority or uh, ethnic group we're from, part of our DNA as an American is hard work, self-improvement, and bettering my life life, liberty, and justice for all, right? The pursuit of happiness. That's like the American gospel. And that's inside of us. And that can actually become a very selfish kind of way of thinking instead of living as, a, as, a, uh, as someone that's participating in the kingdom of God. Our Christianity does not begin with that kind of mentality. When we become a Christian, uh, we're not called to come into something and to... Um, make it something that I'm here to make this better. Because that can actually be, ego can really be in the middle of that. The flesh can be very much involved with that. Because whatever we get involved with, whatever we jump into, uh, we have to have the understanding that before I start this, I'm complete in Christ. That's the way your day has to begin. And we repeat this a lot, and we do this because we need to remember this, that our day has to begin with, I am complete already. And if I'm not thinking in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, that I'm complete in Christ before my day starts, things are going to really bother me. People are going to bother me. I was thinking yesterday that soul power, our soul is that part of us that is self-aware. And it's aware of its environment and its preferences and what it wants and what it needs. And it actually can, the soul can actually have a set of needs that we call felt need Felt need is our needs that are not true needs, but there's something that I feel that's needed. I need this. Like I need another chocolate chip cookie. That's a felt need. <laughs> or I need more recognition in the church. Or I need, uh, I need this. Or I, I need someone to apologize to me. Or I need justice uh, exacted in that situation. That's felt need, and that's not necessarily true need. True need is defined in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus said, I need to be about my father's business. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to do the will of the father. That is my meat. That is my appetite. And so, um, when our day begins with this, 
truth that I am complete in Christ. That means that every phone call I have, every text message, every interaction, every confrontation I have, I'm going to approach that from the perspective that I am complete in Christ. I am not going to be living in insecurity. I'm not going to be living in self-justification. If I'm having a relationship problem in my family, then if I'm secure in who I am as a husband, I don't need to have to try to always defend myself and prop myself up, you know, if, if I feel attacked by my, my wife or vice versa. Because if we're secure in Christ, I can afford to be appear wrong. <laughs> That's okay. It's like, you know, everybody thinks I'm wrong, and I'm not going to even try to justify it. I'm going to just live in my rightness with God because I'm justified in spirit, you know. That's a great thing when a man learns how not to live in his insecurities because insecurity can bring our conversation into the world of pettiness, you know, like, like, you know, tit for tat and this for that. And he did that to me, so I'm going to do that to him. And, and, you know, he didn't help me, so now when he needs help, I'm not going to help him. That is not the way we live in our church. As a church, we have a much bigger God than that. We have a much bigger faith than that. And you know something? Hey, people are going to do things to you. And you're going to think it's the devil or you're going to think it's people, but it's really God. <laughs> and God is rubbing us the wrong way. You ever rub a, a cat the wrong way? It's just like that's what God allows people to do with us. Why? Because it's bigger than us and it's bigger than our soul. And what I'm saying is that our Christianity has to, cannot just be in our soul. A soul bound Christianity is just about preferences, about am I in the, am I in the middle of this? Uh, am I, you know, where am I in this? Or what can I get from this? A Christ-centered, spirit-centered, Christ-centered Christianity, cross-centered Christianity is, I'm not even in the picture. And like Pastor Kyle said, if people are blessed, you know, if I can deliver something, a masterpiece, and not have to have my name on it, praise the Lord, you know, that's awesome. You know, maybe there's that random thread, I don't want to re-preach this message, but maybe there's that random thread nobody can really figure out. Uh, you know, the, you know, and actually when he said this, maybe he said this in the message, the only part of a spider's web that is not asymmetrical is that part of where he's leaving. <laughs> so the only thing that you, when you see a spider's web, the only thing you really can see about it is like when he left. And, and that's really the, that's really the most distinct part of a spider's web. When you look at what we are in, in what we when we contribute to something in the work of God, like when you pick up the phone and call somebody at Charter Arms, or when you when you go and minister to knock on somebody's door that hasn't been out for a while, you know, what is that? We are ministering to the body. And I just want to continue here. So our Christianity begins with who we are in Christ. It never begins with us trying to emulate Christ or be like Christ. Now this may sound like very noble, like I want to be like God. I mean, that may be very noble, but we, that could also be very um, veiled, disguised religiosity in your life. Who in the Bible said, I will be like God? This is a pretty scary verse. Who said this? Well, didn't Lucifer say this in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14? I will be like God. I mean, someone without discernment would hear that Lucifer say that and say, Good job, Lucifer. Man, you are godly. You, you want to be like God. And I will ascend. And you're like, wow, you know, you are just on your way up in spirituality. And I, I applaud you. And 
But if we're not spiritually discerning, then we don't see that there is ambition and flesh and evil in that whole thing. And so God is not calling us to be like Christ. That's really a satanic gospel. When we, when we say to somebody, you've got to be like God, you know, who, who can do that? Who can be that way? Only Christ can transform us through the word of God. And so when we live attempting to be someone without the finished work, cross of Jesus Christ transforming us through a spirit fulfilling, the result is ego is in the center. You know, if, if, if my contribution ends with me summarizing like this, this is what I did. Now, of course, we are saying, hey, God, use me. Praise the Lord. I'm not saying that. And people, we, we pray, we rejoice with that. I'm not saying that. But if everything that I do has to be summarized with like, well, that's what I did. This is what I did. And try it this way. Try this little test in your life. If, if you have accomplished something that benefits a lot of people and people don't know that you did it, See how long you can go without having to kind of declare your accomplishment, your achievement. Just rejoice in the Lord. Like, you know what? Nobody knows that I did this, but I did it, you know? And this is really God that did it through me. And I say that because, because we are complete in him and we don't need anything. I don't have like this deficit motivation in my life that I have to attract attention or attract, attract praise. And so... Thinking in this line of parallel Christianity, am I living parallel to Christ or am I living, am I functioning in Christ? There is a voluntary and an involuntary way that God does things. And, you know, but I was saying about our Christianity not being solely in our soul. You know, if somebody has power to steal your joy or if someone has power to make you feel guilty or if someone has power to compel you to do something because of guilt... And that's soul power. And that's not a productive, that's not a healthy relationship. Now, we all have it. I'll say every one of us in this room has someone in our life, whether family or someone that can say something that just is going to make us feel guilty. And we have to learn how to not respond to that because we do have relationships with people that involve our soul because our soul is involved with relationship. It's just governed by the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful that when we feel that twinge of guilt or that twinge of manipulation, like, oh, I mean, and you just feel like you've got to go under and just kind of follow them and do what they want you to do. Or what are they thinking right now? Maybe I've got to call them. Maybe they're angry with me. Or maybe, maybe they're not happy, and, uh, and I've got to call them and make sure that everything's okay. And That's just all soulishness. And, and, and if you detect that from someone, don't, don't let that be your motive, because your motive when that happens is, I'm not complete in Christ. I really need their praise. I need their validation because I have a bad self-image. Sometimes we struggle, and all of us struggle, with a bad self-image because of the flesh. The flesh has no healthy self-image, no matter what people tell you in the world without God. They don't have a good self-image. They may be built. They may have like a great body. They may have a great mind, a great humor, a great job. But they don't have a good self-image because it's not spiritual. It's soulish. And the soul... Listen to this. The soul has only one direction. What direction is the soul? What did David say? My what cleaves to the dust? My soul cleaves to this, right? Our soul is under the gravitational pull of the earth. And whenever we live in our soul in relationships or in our life, we're going to feel that downward pull of the flesh and the gravitational pull towards the flesh. There's also an inward pull of the, of the soul. But I wanna, we can talk about that another time. When we're living in our soul, we're going to feel like, I'm not complete. 
I got to do something for the church to love me. You know, believe me, if you don't do one thing in this church, we love you. That's okay. You know, don't feel like, and this is another thing. When I came over from Europe to pastor here, I realized that in America, we really base our identity in the church on what we're doing in the church. It's so easy to do that. I'm not doing anything in the church. I'm not important. That's such a lie. Well, our Christianity begins with who we are in Christ. And that's the way our day has to begin. And that way people can't manipulate us. Manipulation always comes because of guilt. If you are living in secret guilt about something that's never been brought to the cross, people are going to manipulate you, you know? People will manipulate you and I. If there's some failure in our life that we've never resolved at the forgiveness of the cross, then people are going to say, you know, people will be able to manipulate you. And that is not a healthy relationship. You know, God allowed evil to be very close to him, to move alongside of him. There is a parallel Christianity, but it's not a spiritual Christianity. It's a Christianity that says, I will be like God through my self-effort and without going to the cross and without surrendering my life at the cross. That's a very dangerous Christianity. And it looks great. You can't really tell the difference. Could you tell the difference during the three years of discipleship with Judas and, and the rest of the disciples? The disciples didn't even know that Judas was a betrayer. Jesus did. Jesus never exposed him. Jesus never did that. And that's such an interesting thing that God allows through. If you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see God allowing evil get very, very close to him. And evil people get very close to David, the psalmist, and Joshua, and, and, and Samuel, and many, many, uh, Paul. You know, Paul allowed this woman to follow him for a while that was saying, these are the men of God, these men are sent from God, listen to them. Everybody thought that she was an amazing woman, but she really was possessed. And, and Paul uh, caught it and he called her out, but he let her follow for a while. See, God may allow evil to come very close to you in your life, and sometimes you can feel it like, wow, I can sense evil in my life. But he allows that because he wants to do one. He wants to do two things. Number one, he wants to he wants to eventually expose it. And because God is secure and God is not God is not anxious and he's not insecure, uh, he has nothing to prove. And when evil comes very close to trying to mimic God, but without the power of the cross then that can exist for a little while, but eventually it ex gets exposed. And the second thing he wants to do is he wants to show us that he can triumph over it. And why is this important? Well, because it's possible to go to a church, it's possible to go to this church, and to never, ever surrender your life to Christ at the cross and have a transformation in your life where you're saying it's no longer I, but Christ. I was talking with someone this week, and we were just having a great fellowship, and they just shared with me like they were struggling with something. And then at one moment, they just brought it to God, and they said, God, I can't deal with this. And they just said it in their own way that they brought it to the cross, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and they surrendered it there. And they went from a parallel Christianity to a Christianity being in Christ, living in the power of God. And I tell you, I tell you, living a parallel Christianity, is that's, that's hypocrisy. That's living in the form of something, but there's no power in it. There's no power in it. I want to just finish up with this, that when we're not living, when we're living in a, when we're living in a uh, parallel type of Christianity and not a participatory Christianity, 
we are managing everything. We're managing our Christianity. We're managing our problems. We're managing our sin. We're managing people. Everything's getting managed. But it's not the power of God. We're, we're holding our life together. And we can always spot people like that, can't you? They're just saying, I got this. I can do this. I'm going to do this. And there's never a de declaration of their dependency on Jesus Christ. And you wonder, like, is this person even born again? You know? Because a person that's born again is going to be surrendering their life at the foot of the cross. When we try to manage our life outside of the cross, we are just busy people. You know, we just are managing this, we're managing that, we're managing this situation, we're managing our problems, our weaknesses. And what happens? Eventually, life closes in and we, we, we fall apart. And God allows that because God wants us to go from a parallel a philosophical, theoretical Christianity to the real thing. And that can only happen when I bring all my stuff to the cross and I say, God, this is what it is, and I'm going to just surrender this to you at the cross. Otherwise, I'm going to get into another type of Christianity where I will say, I will be like God without God. I will be like Christ without the cross. I will be like God without the Bible. I'll, I'll learn the Bible, but without the spirit of the word of God. And that's very dangerous. And so when you discover, and I like this quote by John Piper that I read recently. Uh, when you discover that your weaknesses are your greatest assets, you can exploit your weaknesses to make you stronger. Let me explain. Because John Piper tells a story when he preached this message. I, listened, I read the message the other day. He said, he said I'm a slow reader. And he said, I wanted to be a Bible scholar. And there were so, so many books that I wanted to read. But I, he said, I can only read as fast as I can talk. He said, I'm a slow reader. And he felt that because he was such a slow reader that this would hinder him from being a scholar, a man of wealth of knowledge in, in, in the Bible. And he felt that that was like a deficit in his life. He felt that was a handicap, that he was a slow reader. But, you know, God showed him that reading slowly is actually not a handicap but is an asset because when you read slower you are go you are getting you're getting deeper uh, getting deeper content out of the text as you're reading slower and that actually that slow reading that weakness actually became a great asset for him as a pastor he's an anointed man when you hear him preach I know another guy who said that um, I'm not a people person. I don't do well in large crowds. And that's okay. There are people, there are some of us that are like that. We, don't, we get in a large crowd and we just, just shut down. We're just like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I, you know, where do I, who do I talk to? Where do I start? You know? And that's okay. And that actually is a great asset for you. Um, not all of us are supposed to be able to manage a crowd or be in a crowd or just be able to talk to everybody and just float from person to person to group to group, you know? Somebody may say, oh, that's a great weakness in my life. I'm not a people person. Well, let me just say this. That is a great asset in your life because that makes you a person that does much better one-on-one -on -one with people. And that's what people need. People need one-on-one. -on -one. And I'll tell you what, that's a gift from God in your life. If you're not a big people person, don't get down on yourself and let that injure your self-image. Understand that God made you that way so that you can make a discipler of a person one-on-one. -on -one. That is how we make... And he said this, he said, make this, year, make this the year you stop complaining about your weaknesses and instead search for their God-given purpose. And I want to close with this, that 
we can exploit our weaknesses when we get God's understanding about the purpose of them. God, I'm this certain way, and, I, and that's what the devil is saying to you. But God has a purpose in that. And I think sometimes in our church, in our ministry, you can look at this men of God or women of God and say, you know, I'm just, I'm not like them. You know, I just, I'm lucky if I can praise the Lord by the end of the day without, you know, cursing a hundred times. You know, it's like, that's, that is, that is comparative parallel Christianity. That is not living in Christ. When we discover these weaknesses that are our greatest assets, then we can exploit them. And so I want to close with this, that for us to be a contributor and just participate in God's plan for our life, we first just have to go to the cross and understand our completeness in him. As a husband, I have to understand I'm complete. If God wanted my wife to have a better husband, then he would have given my wife a better husband. If God wanted my husband to have a better wife, he would have given him a better wife. You are the man or the woman the best person for that person. If God, if, if, God, if God wanted to give you, if you're an adoptive parent or, you know, if you're, you know, if God wanted your kid to have a better parent, then they would have given a better parent. And that's just the way we got to look at our life. Otherwise, we are living in deficit thinking, and that's not thinking and, uh, in a complete way about who we are in Christ. We are complete in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. We are loved. And that's the way our day has to start just taking, you know, if you take a shower in the morning, just take a shower of love, God's love in the morning. Just bathe yourself in the grace of God. Bathe yourself in the plan of God. Bathe yourself in the purpose of God. And just say, you know, I'm here for an awesome purpose, and I'm complete in Christ. Because as we think that way, you know, as a church, we can understand this important core. We can go out into our domains, or just another word for that, our spheres of influence, and really be a light to that sphere of of influence people will see you and you'll be a testimony for jesus christ amen okay let's just uh close in prayer